0: Morning, welcome to Celebration Church. As all stand together, as our campuses all join with us from Appleton and Stevens Point, let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. "...suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning at celebration. And again, good morning to those over in Appleton and Stevens Point as they join with us. Before I get into today's message, uh, summer vacation time is quickly coming to an end. Boo. And uh, (laughs) the fall is going to kick back in. September is going to come in and off to the races we go again and back to uh, a little bit more of a normal schedule. Speaking of schedules, I want to announce a little bit of a change. Some of you might have heard bits and pieces of the change that we're going to do. But uh, normally (coughs) uh, during the summer we take off on all our Wednesday nights and then we come back together again in the fall, starting in September, and do our regular Wednesday night programs. We're going to do a little bit of a change but uh, it's not so much change as we believe is an improvement to grow. Everybody say grow. grow. Right? If we're not growing, we're not doing something right. Somebody say amen. amen. All right? So we need to grow. And now, at Celebration Church, we don't change things very quickly. I don't know if you've noticed that. We really don't. Uh, we've pretty much been doing church. We've been doing church for 15 years. You know, very slowly do we change. And I do that intentionally because I, I remember being part of churches that every other week, you know, some new revelation or some book they read from some pastor somewhere and they change everything they're going to do and we're going to do all this direction and just, I, this stuff drives me crazy, all right? So on the other hand, we, we don't want to be poured in concrete and become immovable. So uh, we are going to do a bit of a change. What we're going to do is on our Wednesday night purpose, we're going to continue uh, meeting on the first Wednesday of every month, all right? The other Wednesdays will be opened up. Why, I'll tell you in just a second. Now, the youth ages, uh, grades 5 through 12, will continue to meet on Wednesday nights. But the rest, we are only going to meet on that first Wednesday. We're going to have great service, teaching us out. I thought you believed in the Bible study on Wednesday nights. I do. That's why we'll keep doing it first Wednesdays of every month. And we want to encourage you to come. Now, when we get to Lent and stuff like that, we might kick in probably every Wednesday night during the time of Lent. But generally speaking, we're going to this first Wednesday approach so why is that because we want to free up more of your time because we want to encourage people to connect and get involved in or lead and get involved in small groups small Bible studies and stuff in your homes or wherever you want to meet something we're going to encourage more and more Uh, why is that because at the end of the day we want to grow everybody say grow all right, we kind of stuck in a certain spot now for quite a number of years and we you know if you keep doing the same thing, you'll keep getting the same result. Yeah. Right? You know, people want to get different results in their lives, but nobody wants to change. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You gotta change. So we want to make just again it's not a massive change, a small change, but we want to get people connected more in these small groups. Why? Because we believe that's really where connections happen. I mean you can come and listen to me, as glorious as that may be. All right? But you're not really connecting with people like you should be connecting with them, sitting there and listening to someone just talk to you. Even though it's good stuff, even though we're teaching you the Bible, at some point the church has to meld and people have to get together and encourage one another, get to know each other, help each other. Some of you have been sitting on the sidelines for a long time. By now the Bible says you should be teachers. Here's your opportunity to stand up and lead and teach a little bit on your own. So we're going to be encouraging this more and more and by cutting back the schedule a bit, we're going to open up that opportunity. Now, there are always people who panic whenever there is change of any kind, okay? Check your medication, all right? It will be fine, all right? he said, I really like Wednesday nights every night. That's wonderful. Again, we'll continue doing it first Wednesdays, but let's redirect some of our energies so that we might have an opportunity to affect more lives more effectively so that we can grow. grow. And everybody said, amen. 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 All right, stay tuned. We'll keep you tuned on all that stuff. So, now, we are continuing our series on significant events of the Old Testament. We're in the book of Judges, what has happened so far. We talked about the whole beginning of Genesis, where everything came from, and explained from a biblical perspective how we all got here and how the world has shaped the way that it is. Then we get to God calling out special people. We got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and eventually Joseph winds up in Egypt. Uh, The Israelites blossom in Egypt. But then Pharaoh comes along and enslaves them for 400 years. Finally, Moses comes along and says, let my people go. He gets them out of Egypt. God does incredible miracles, does everything for them. And it seems to have very little impact on them. After 40 years in the wilderness, he sends them into the promised land. Now the rules change. God doesn't do everything for them anymore. He says, now you need to grow up. You need to go in there and fight the battles. I'll be with you. But you got to get involved, which is true for all of us. Usually faith in the beginning is very easy for people. What happens sometimes gets a little harder. Why is that? God wants you to move along. All right, time for you to grow up. Time for you to get involved. Time you to start doing some things on your own. All right, and then after they conquered the uh, promised land, then they basically are doing life. And God says up a very simple system. He says, if you do the right thing, I will bless you. If you don't, I will kick your butt. Well, of course, they keep doing the wrong thing. They kept getting obsessed and caught up in the cultures around them more than allowing their godly culture affect those people. A problem we still have to this very day. I'll talk a little bit more in just a minute. But this is what keeps happening. So what happens is they would disobey God. They get themselves in all kinds And we're talking about disobeying. We're not talking like, you know, forgetting to, you know, pick up your underwear kind of stuff around the house. We're talking they became caught up in pagan cultures. These were horrible cultures. They would sacrifice their children to these gods. The immorality, the violence. This is not just cultural differences. These people were very corrupt and extremely Destructive, And that's why they fought against these cultures, and God had them do that. But they kept getting caught up in those cultures. So let's pick it up. Now, he he would send these leaders to help them get out of trouble, and they were called judges. And if you look through your Bible, you'll see now we're in the book of Judges. And we're going through some of these guys, some of them fairly famous. Samson, we're going to be talking about. We know about Samson. We just talked about, uh, what's his name? Gideon. Gideon. All right. And then we got one today, and we're skipping over a whole bunch of them because we not to do more. This one's a little bit obscure, but I think there's two good lessons from it, and I've talked about it before. His name is Jephthah. So we're going to pick it up in Judges, the 10th chapter. Now, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What a shock. This happens over and over and over. They get it right, but then they had a real hard time passing their faith on to their children, a problem we still have to this day. We can start out with a blaze of glory and faith, and after about the third generation, they become totally corrupt again. And we have struggled with this in Christianity for 2,000 years, but they've struggled with this for a long, long time. So they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals, these gods, the Ashereths, the god of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. Now, these weren't just, you know... The Lions Club, okay? This, these these people were like incredibly corrupt, destructive cultures. And they got totally caught up in them. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord no longer served him, he became angry with them, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and Am- and the Ammonites. It's just a phrase from olden times. He didn't actually go out and sell them for a certain amount of money. What are you going to pay God, Right. So that year, these Philistines and Ammonites shattered and crushed them. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Amorites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites, after 18 years, sometimes it takes people a long time. You know, at some point, you got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's amazing how much people will resist God in their lives, even if he is taking them out to the shed and giving them a whooping. They'll fight and resist and fight and resist and fight and resist. And finally, you can't take it anymore. And you surrender. My encouragement is surrender quickly. All right. Don't go for 18 years and watch your life fall apart until you finally come back to God. But a lot of people don't get this message. Don't get in their heads. Anyway, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, we've sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. And they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord to the best of their ability at that time. They still had issues, which we'll see in a second. And God could no longer bear Israel's misery. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites freaked. They got to get together. They assembled the camp in Mizpah, the leaders of the people of Gilead. Over at the Jewish side said to each other, okay, whoever will take the lead in attacking the Ammonites will be the head over all who live in Gilead. Whoever wants to step forward, we've all gathered. We need a leader. Somebody, let's go. Go, team, go. (laughs) And nobody steps forward. I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. You do it. I ain't doing it. So they don't have a leader. So we pick it up now. And we read about this guy named Jephthah. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. He was a scrapper. <laughs> he was a butt kicker. He was really kind of a mean, nasty guy. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. So Gilead has this romp with this prostitute and winds up with Jephthah. Well, Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were growing up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you're, the you're, you're the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. So Jephthah is the head guy of the scoundrels. It's the scoundrel gang. He basically has a gang. He's, like, he's a rapping gang leader. All right, I mean, this is his thing. And, uh, and he's bad. He's bad. Nobody messes with these guys. They are nasty and mean. All right, so sometimes when these Ammonites were fighting against Israel, they got this war going on that nobody's taking charge. The elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tobes and said, Come, be our commander so we can fight against the Ammonites. Now, they didn't particularly love him. He was a scoundrel. They didn't like him. They chased him off. But they knew something about him. He could get things done. He was a strong leader, even though he had lots of faults. Sounds like a bunch of leaders we have today. Anyway, so (laughs) some of them are scoundrels. (laughs) But they could get things done. So the people turned to him. So they said, come and be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. And Jephthah says to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? And the elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us and fight the Ammonites, and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. And Jephthah answered, Well, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be in charge of everybody? And the elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So they basically make this vow, this commitment. If you will lead us, we will follow and you will be in charge. So three takeaways from today's lesson. I want to give you three points. And all three of them have nothing to do with the other. All right. So <laughs> hang in there with me. <laughs> it is what it is. Number one, God can use anybody he chooses. All right. Sometimes we think, well, God can't use me because I've made so many mistakes. I came to faith too late in life. I have problems. I lost my job. I don't make much money. I got a divorce. You know, everything fell apart. Of my Therefore, I am broken. No good. God can't do much with me. He tolerates me when I come to church. Doesn't zap me with electricity. And that's, they think, is the win. No, 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 no. God can use anybody who's willing to yield to him. Any good news. Praise God. Good news to me. <laughs> so, anyway, so this guy is a scoundrel, a rascal. Nobody likes him. But they become desperate, and God is looking for a leader. So, uh, sure enough, Jephthah decides to take on the job. All right, God can use anybody. By the way, you will notice as we t- look at these three judges how jacked up and messed up they are. You remember Gideon? He was afraid, he was a coward, he was hiding. And the angel comes to him and says, you're a mighty warrior. He saw something in Gideon that Gideon couldn't see himself. Well, see, the same thing with Samson. Samson was really jacked up. Wait to you hear this story. I mean, he was a mess of astronomical proportions. All right? And yet God still used him. And then this guy, God used him as well. You talk about imperfect people. In fact, if you look really closely in the Bible, most of the people that God uses were, in fact, blatantly imperfect. Perfect people. All of them. What about Moses? Moses was a murderer. Remember, he kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Apparently, he doesn't bury him too deep because the dogs can walk, dig him up. So, I don't know. Somebody finds him the next few days. He's got to run for his life. Ah, he winds up on the backside of the desert for 40 years hiding out because he's a murderer. But yet, God uses him. I mean, on and on. These stories are quite fascinating. So, here again is another imperfect man. And he comes to the lead and he says, okay, I'll do it. I'll take the job. Well, the first thing Jephthah does is he tries diplomacy. Nobody really wants to go to war as much as people, yeah, just war mongers. Look, war is a horrible thing. The cost is enormous in blood and treasure. And Jephthah tries to reason with the Ammonites. He says, look, I haven't wronged you, but you're doing me wrong by waging war against me. You know, let's peace, man, peace. Let the Lord be judged, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. Let's, let's work it out. Let's work it out. But the king of Ammon paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. So off to war they go. Here comes the big conflict. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed Gilead, Manasseh, passed through Mizpah, and Gilead. Uh, of gilead and from there advanced against the Ammonites. so here they are gods with them things are coming together here's this big conflict they finally have a leader the spirit of the lord comes on this leader and this leader does an incredibly stupid idiotic and moronic thing and we read it next jephthah made a vow to the lord if you give the ammonites into my hands whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when i return in triumph from the ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So what he's saying to God is this is ready to go into battle. Lord, help me win this battle and I will toast the first thing that comes out of my house when I get home. Now, who do you think he's expecting to come out of his house when he gets home? The old lady, right? I mean, come on. So he's basically, Lord, let me win and I'll toast the old lady when I get back. I'll get rid of the chick. You know, because a goat's not going to come out, right? Somebody's got to come out. Who lives in there? His wife lives with there. Well, so this is this vow he makes. Now, a lot of Bible scholars really struggle over this thing. Look, you have to understand, number two, not everything you read in the Bible was God. The Bible is God-inspired, but not every event was God. People did all kinds of incredibly stupid things in the name of God, but it wasn't God. God never told him to do this. God never responds to him. He just makes this vow. Why would he make such a vow? Because he was so affected by paganism. This is not a church-going, Bible-believing, Sunday school-attending man. He's a scoundrel. Nobody likes him. They get rid of him. He winds up leading a gang, going around, and, you know, it wasn't like they, you know, had potlucks out there. They were going around harassing people, stealing stuff. And he was tough, and he was nasty and mean. Everybody was afraid of him. They finally said would you lead us because you're the one who's got any guts so he's ignorant 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 (laughs) high G N-E-R-T ignorant (laughs) that's not the word of the day by the way All right. so he is affected by paganism what what were these pagans doing they would often sacrifice their children to these false gods and these idols he just figures well this is what the Lord must want I'll sacrifice whatever So anyway, uh, this is what he does. Now, he didn't need to make the vow. God was already with him. The Spirit of God was on him. Everything was going in his favor. He didn't need to make the vow. There's nothing about this that God has sanctioned in any way, shape, or form. And to give you an example, people kind of still do this today. You know, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. The Bible says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is where we find forgiveness. This is where we find redemption. But there are people who still try to bargain with God on the side. Lord, you know, if you just, you know, if you just forgive me, I'll do this. You know, oh God, please forgive me for what I did. and I'll, I'll give $30 to the United Way. You know, whatever their deal is. There's people who still, I mean, there are so many millions of people who claim the name of Christians. But their whole approach to Christianity is they want to be a little bit better than they are worse. So if I'm, I'm better than I'm bad, then I'll get into heaven. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you used to think that. Millions of people think that. Well, you know, you talk about giving your life to Jesus. Well, you know, I'm not such a bad guy. You know, I, you know, I, I don't let my dog poop in my neighbor's yard, you know. And I help little ladies across the street. So, you know, I, I'm sure, I punch that one guy in the face. But, you know, then I'm... I'm just a little bit better. If I'm just a little bit better than I'm bad, then I'll make it. No. You don't understand. Life is not a scale like this of good men. Here's the scale. Ah, Bad. We are really, really bad. Even the nicest person among us has a scale like this. The Bible says there is no one who is righteous. There's no one who is holy. No one has gotten this right ever. It's part of the fallen nature of men. Now, comparing one scoundrel to the other some of us are nicer scoundrels than the next and some are horrible you know we read about these horrible people who do unbelievably tragic ghastly things and we think at least i'm not that bad i must be be, okay no we're all jacked up jesus comes He dies on the cross. He pays the punishment, the price for our sins. And he's the one who makes things right. And then it goes like this. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he did. You see, there's no bargaining and stuff. There'd be no reason to bargain, you know, with God when Christ has already paid the price. If you're trying to pay your own price so that you think God will like you more or get you into heaven, you don't get this. You've missed it. And this is Jephthah. He doesn't get it. He's already going to battle. God's with him. And he's like, well, I, I got a bargain. So he makes this bargain. It's just stupid and ignorant. So anyway, so when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah after he has this big battle, he wins, by the way. He totally wipes out this because he's, he's a butt kicker. I, mean, I hope the Bible has instant replay when we get to heaven, you know. I would love to see some of these things. You know, they just pass over. I'm like, how did you do that? You know, so something about him. He was, he was sharp. He knew how to fight. He had the right tactics. It would probably make a great movie. So anyway, he sets up and the Ammonites come in because they've been whooping these guys for almost 20 years. And now they run into this wall that Jephthah has up and he wipes them all out and uh, has a great victory. So now... This horrible plague of the Ammonites torturing the Israelites is gone. He comes back. He's a hero. Now, when Jephthah returns to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter dancing to the sound of the timbrels. Now, she was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. And when he saw her, her, he tore his clothes. Again, very dramatic. They would always do this stuff. Tore his clothes. He cries, "Oh no, my daughter! You have brought me down, and I am devastated. I made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break." Now it's an act of ignorance, pure, unadulterated ignorance. This is a, a person of scripture. That oftentimes, people will try and debate and why would God have somebody? God had nothing to do with it. All they do is recording what this Nimwit did. All right. So he sees his daughter. He says, "Well, I can't break this vow." And they come, remember, they have been so affected by this. This is not unusual practice. And you can read all kinds of of theologians that jump through back hoops and say, well, it wasn't really that, that he, he didn't really sacrifice her. It was this, that, and many of you have heard all these things. I'm telling you, he toasted the chick. Well, how do you know? Because that's what they did. Look, God warned them. In Leviticus, he says, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch, which is one of these pagan gods. For you must not profane the name of the Lord. Your, uh, name of your God, I am the Lord. But look what Ezekiel cries out. He says, for they committed adultery and blood is on their hands. They committed adultery with their idols. They even sacrificed their children whom they bore to me as food for them. And the Bible lists this many, 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 many times in the Old Testament. When the prophets would come and start crying against one of the crimes that they had against Israel. Again, it wasn't because they were not as devout as they should or they didn't go to church. They got caught up into paganism and the kind of paganism that most of us can't even begin to comprehend. People all say, why did God destroy these cultures? These were not good people. And I, I mean, that's an understatement. They were violent, disgusting. The practices they would do would make a normal person want to vomit. These were horrible pagan cultures, just not non-Christian cultures. These were pagan, nasty cultures. Caught in all kinds of ritualistic sufferings and tortures and Sacrificing their own children to these gods, take their babies and cut them up. I mean, just it was nuts. You hear about these things, you know, well, they take a virgin and sacrifice. That's what they did. They really did. It was very common. And not only did they do it, the Israelites did it. And God was appalled by their behavior. And the prophets would cry out against this stuff. So, anyway, you know, the guy comes and says, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I... And the girl says, Oh, dad you've given your word to the Lord do to me just as you promised why would she willingly accept this this was so ingrained in their culture this had happened many 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 times this is what they did it was so ingrained in the culture she's okay I guess I'm I'm the next one to go up and she she says you know just do me a promise now that the Lord has avenged your enemies but, but grant me one request give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry what? You're going to be fried, and her biggest concern is, I won't have a boyfriend. So, and, and listen, I, you girls are like, dee, 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 when it comes to this stuff, I don't get it. I'll never get it. But how many girls I've talked to, you start talking about Jesus coming back in the end of the world, you know, what they say to me, Oh, I hope it doesn't happen yet. Why? Because I want to get married first. <laughs> really? Right? They have this fantasy of this glorious day. I'll be looking so beautiful. and will be so, God, don't come back until this happens. <laughs> then they get married. And, God, I can't stand this idiot. What was I thinking? <laughs> but her reaction wasn't, she's going to get toasted. She said, I'm not going to get married now. And he's said, OK, you can go. And he let her go for two months. And she and her friends went into the hills and wept. <laughs> because she would never marry. I would be weeping. He's going to kill me. That would be my weeping. <laughs> After two months, she returned to her father, and he did it to her as he vowed, and she was a virgin. That's what they did. This comes to the Israelite tradition that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days and commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Now, many, 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 many. If you were to study this on your own, you'll find many, because... So many people assume that God had a hand in this. He didn't. So what they say is, no, what he sacrificed was she just didn't ever get to be married. She had to remain a virgin the rest of her life. That was the sacrifice. Horse manure, it was not the sacrifice. They did this stuff, and it was horrible, and it was awful. And it's what brought the judgment of God down on them. All right, now, the next section. (laughs) So what happens is they go to war. Now, what they had done is They had called everybody together, come on, let's go, get these guys. Well, the the Ephraimites um, were called, but they didn't go for whatever reason. But when they had this great victory, now they're ticked off that they didn't go. And they feel, you you didn't ask me hard enough for something. So we read now, the Ephraimites' forces were called out and they crossed over to Zaphon and they said to Jephthah, why did you go fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? We're going to burn down your house over your head. You know, we just can't grasp how barbaric the culture is at this time. It has been so bad. Their version of disagreeing is we're going to come and kill you and burn your house over your head. Well, Jephthah answered, hey, I and my people were engaged in a great struggle with the Ammonites, and though I called, you didn't come. When I saw that you wouldn't help, I took my life into my own hands and crossed over to fight the Ammonites. And the Lord gave me the victory over them. Well, now why have you come up to fight me today? Well, they're mad. They're mad. You had this great victory, and now we're not part of the victory. And you did ask right or something. I don't know. People are crazy. (laughs) So Jephthah called together the men of Gilead and they fought against Ephraim. Now it's a civil war. And the Gileads struck struck them down. Because the Ephraimites had said, You Gileads are renegades from Ephraim and Manasseh. You're a bunch of half-breeds anyway. So they had a civil war, and the Gileads captured. The fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim. So they basically, Jephthah and his guys, wipe them out. They win again. And the Gileads captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim. So this battle happens on the, uh, over by the Gileads. And whatever survivors of Ephraim, they wanted to cross back over to get back to their home. So it says, whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead asked them, are you an Ephraimite? Because they all look the same. They're the same people. He says, if he replied no, they all said, all right, well then say Shibboleth. And if the guy said Sibboleth, because he could not pronounce the word correctly, they seized him and killed him in the fords of the Jordan. 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. They couldn't say that. Part of their culture, it's kind of like in northern Wisconsin. By the upers, they can't say they're they're th's, it's a ting, it's the one thing, like the, the 30 point buck. Right? Did you see the 30 pointer? So, every time there's someone who couldn't say the 30 point, 30 pointer, my dad had this problem, <laughs> he could never see. T- but it was hilarious because he'd always say, Because I have an older brother, then there's me and my brother Eddie, y'all know my brother, and he would say, Stephen was the first. Mark was the second, Edwin was the third. And I <laughs> and I said, that's that's right, Dad. He he is the third to this very day. <laughs> By the way, those of you in the second service here, you're seeing me on video right now because uh I'm getting on a plane right after the service to go. We're having a gunger sibling reunion. And and uh I'm taking Deanna to meet my family for the first time. You might want to pray for her. <laughs> this could be a deal killer. I'm telling you right now. Ah, and run. But anyway, so I'm going to go see the turd and the other turds in my family. Uh, so, so they have this shibboleth. Shibboleth. That's your word for the day, children. Shibboleth. This word actually is still used. If you'll pay attention to, and I know younger people don't pay attention to political commentaries. Every once in a while you'll listen to someone and they'll say, well, that was a shibboleth. And if you're not catching it, you don't know what they're saying. What it stands for today is people who don't say the right thing. If you don't say the right thing, they try and kill you. Not literally they don't try to kill you, but they come against you. It's all part of this PC culture today, right? If you don't say the exact right thing the right way, shibboleth, shibboleth. And they go nuts today. If you don't say the right, proper thing, and I'm always saying the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how many people tell me, you can't say that, really? <laughs> 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 it's a shabalaf, it's a off! We have this in the political discourse today. If you say you voted for Barack Obama, some people, shabalaf, off, and they get all mad and crazy. Relax. Or on some people, you tell me you voted for Mr. Jephthah in the White House, right? The butt kicking, nasty guy. You voted for Trump? Shut off! Or if you wear a MAGMA, "Make America Great Again" hat, shut off! They go crazy. People have lost their minds in this country, going nuts, reacting to everything and everything ah, all over the place. Because one word, one word, sends people off. They go crazy. Man, don't be getting all caught up in these shibboleths. Quit reacting to people. Quit having knee-jerk reactions to people. Try and listen to them without having a reaction to whatever word that they say to you. Sometimes even just discussing faith. I remember one time I was talking to a guy. He didn't believe in God. Why not? He starts, well, because, you know, we all evolved. And, so, and as soon as I heard the word evolved, it was a shibboleth. And I wanted to attack him about evolution. But I thought, keep your mouth shut. It's like I heard the Lord say, shh. And I let the shibboleth go. And the guy kept talking and talking, and when he just kept talking, finally he got to the point, the reason he had a hard time believing God, he couldn't believe that God could really love us. Oh, oh, let me talk to you about that, you see. Let me talk to you about that. And see, I was able to speak into the guy's life about how God really does love us. But oftentimes we don't really hear people's hearts because we're too quick to respond to shibboleth. A phrase, a word, something that sets us off. The minute people say things, they judge you just like that. Don't do that. It's hard not to. It's really hard not to. We got to watch for that stuff. Don't have these knee-jerk reactions of people. Try to listen to what people say and not get so caught up in all this political correctness and all this other craziness. You immediately judge. People will immediately love you or hate you based on one word or phrase that you say. That's crazy, all right? And certainly we as people of faith, we all have our opinions, I get that, but we as people of faith should not be reacting to such things. We need to listen to people, hear people. Don't just overreact. They mention something that, you know, we might disagree with or whatever and right away you go all nuts and crazy. Stop. Try and listen. Don't be caught up. That's part number three. Don't have knee-jerk reactions to the shibboleths of our current day. All right, now, this morning we're here to celebrate, as I mentioned, the fact that Jesus died on the cross. for sanctum. I'm going to invite our ushers to come and get ready to serve communion at our campuses, as well as here at Green Bay and Appleton, Stevens Point. They come forward, and the musicians can come, and everybody can get ready for our time of communion. You know, you might be here today and you're thinking, you know, I've never really totally surrendered my life to Christ. You know, I've been one of these guys doing this thing. I've been, I've been trying to get, be a little bit better than I've been bad and stuff like that. I've never really surrendered. If that's you today, let me encourage you. We're all going to pray a prayer together. In just a second, I'm going to have you all pray along with me over at Stevens Point Appleton here. And if you're the kind of person who's never truly surrendered your heart to Christ, let me encourage you today, do that. And just the words themselves, they're not magic. I mean, you've got to really have a heart that really means it. And if you will surrender your life to Christ, you can get away from just trying to bargain out with God and just let God do the work in you. Let him figure this thing out for you. Let him fix it. Because we can't fix it on our own. I want you all to bow your heads with me as we pray this prayer together. And if you'll pray this prayer with a meaningful heart, you can take that first step of faith today. And you can accept this wonderful forgiveness that we've been talking about. Let's pray together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And that you love me so much, you went to the cross. And you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender myself to you. Amen. That's a very simple step of faith where you finally come and just surrender and say, you know, I can't do this. I can't figure it out. He's the one who can fight this battle for me and win it in my life. Hallelujah, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go ahead and encourage the campus pastors to take over this time as we go into our time of communion.